So this is, this is the second message that I started last week. It's kind of a part two in the idea of uh, the way of life, the way of destruction. I've, I've entitled this message, Walking in the Way of the Lord. Walking in the Way of the Lord. And I'm just going to warn you ahead of time. I have marked out a lot of scriptures here that I'm going to be reading. And so you may not... Okay, we're going to open up to John chapter 14. So you might want to listen to this later. That's why we record these messages. And you could get all the scripture references. I kind of want to just cover a whole swath of scripture talking about this idea of walking in the way of the Lord this morning. And you may just want to listen and just take it in rather than trying to flip and turn uh, with me this morning. John 14, verses 5 and 6, to kick off, says this. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Flipping back to Matthew chapter 7. And verse 13, which we looked at also last week, Matthew 7, verse 13 says this. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult or hard is the way which leads to life. And there are only a few that find it. And so last week, we were looking at the idea of there being two paths, two roads. One is a hard road. It's a narrow road. It's a difficult road. There are not many people on that road. There are few that find it, Jesus says. Uh, And that's the road that we should be walking on, the narrow, lonely, difficult road. So if you feel alone... You feel like your road is hard, you're probably on the right path right now as you're searching to obey the Lord and seeking to follow Him. And we are to avoid the broad road. Wide is the gate, broad is the road, and easy is the road that leads to destruction. Again, the idea of going down a gently sloping hill, how easy that is, flat, gently sloping down, no work, but you end up in hell. You're going down all the way to hell. The hard road goes up, up, up. It's a hard road. It's difficult. It's narrow. It's, it's challenging. But you end up in heaven. Two roads, two ways uh, for us to travel on in this world. Jesus talked about those who would say, Lord, Lord. He says, not everyone who says to me, verse 21, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So it's not about those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do the will of the Father. It's interesting because Jesus is saying these people are going to say, Lord, Lord. Did we not do all these things in your name? And he's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In other words, if they were really his servants, they wouldn't have done their own thing. They would have been doing his will, not their own will. They were practicing their own iniquity, their own things, going after their own lusts and the things they wanted to do, and yet trying to uh, Christianize their carnality, the carnal Christian, as it, sa- as, as it is called. And uh, Jesus just says, I never knew you. If, if I was your Lord, you would have obeyed me, but you didn't obey me, so you're not my servant, in other words. So it's a very serious thing. It's the one who does the will of the Father. Those are the ones who say, Lord, you're Lord, I'm the servant, you're the master, I'm the slave, you give the orders, I obey, it's not for me to question. That's the hard road. That is the narrow road. It's interesting that he says, uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter, but the one who does the will. But we know that we, we must say, Lord, Lord. We must call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Uh, there's only one way into heaven. And submission to Jesus Christ and surrendering our life to him is the only way to salvation. There's only one way uh, to, to be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ. 
Uh, Romans chapter 10. I'll read this to you. Romans chapter 10, verses 8 and 9 say this. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So um, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but you have to say, Lord, Lord. You have to make Jesus your Lord. You have to confess him as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead in order to be saved. Verse 13 of Romans 10. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. In Acts chapter 4, we read this. Peter said this in verse 7. And when they had set them in their midst, they asked them, By what power, by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if this day we are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Only the name of Jesus, exclusivity of Jesus Christ. You're not saved by believing in Muhammad or Buddha or the Hindu gods or anyone else. Only through the name and by the name of Jesus Christ. Only one name given under heaven by which men must be saved. That's the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 42, we read this. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the people's witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Only by the name of Jesus do we have salvation. In the book of 1 Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Jesus is the only mediator. The only way for us to get to the Father is through Jesus Christ. He is the only way. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9, Paul the Apostle says this, Therefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's only one way to be saved, and it's through believing on Jesus Christ. Again, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. Exclusive salvation through Jesus Christ. But this message about being one way to heaven, one way to salvation, one way to eternal life is not just found in the New Testament. Really, it's all the way back to the beginning in the Old Testament. The way of the Lord, the way of life, the way to know God, the way of salvation was given to the saints of old throughout. It's, it's a thread that runs throughout the whole Bible. Actually, it's a, it's a fascinating study if you ever dig deep into this in the scriptures, which I've done in the last couple of weeks, and I'm just going to give you a sampling of scriptures. I have probably another 60 scripture references that I'm not going to have time to get to this morning. So, uh, But again, let's, let's start in way back in the book of Genesis, and I want you to follow this theme or this thread about the way of the Lord being uh, proclaimed to God's people from the very beginning all the way up until us today. One way to follow, to know the Lord. So starting back with the father of the faith in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 19. And we're going to kind of work our way uh, forward here from Genesis. Genesis 18 and verse 19. Abraham, the father of the faith. 
For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So Abraham, the father of the faith, God says, those who are children of Abraham will be those who keep the way of the Lord. And it's described here as those who seek to keep righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice is the way of the Lord. In Genesis chapter 24 and verse 48, we read this. And this is Abraham's servant, Eleazar, who went to go find a bride for Abraham's son, Isaac, who was Rebekah, of course. And we read this in Genesis 24, 48. He says, Eleazar, Abraham's servant, says, And I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has led me in the way of truth. To take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. So as he walked in the way of truth, God led him and directed him to the bride of Abraham's son Isaac. He was going to find a bride for Abraham's son uh, Isaac. And of course, Rebekah was that bride. And he was thanking God that as he was following the Lord in the way, God led him, the way of truth, to this uh, bride for his master's son. In verse 56 of Genesis 24... And he said to me, do not hinder me, or he said to them, do not hinder me, since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. So they were trying to hold him up. Uh, uh, Rebecca's uh, family and her brother were trying to keep him there with them a little while longer. And he says, don't hinder me. The Lord has prospered my way. I'm walking in the way of truth. I'm walking in the way of righteousness and justice. Don't hold me back. I want to continue to follow in this way. And then verse 61 says, Then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels, and they followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. So Rebekah then followed the way of the Lord, and then she became one of the matriarchs uh, of of the faith because she gave birth to uh, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, who became uh, the nation of Israel. The 12 sons of Jacob became the 12 tribes. In Genesis, in chapter 28, and verse 20, now we're dealing with uh, Isaac's son, Jacob. So you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Genesis 28, and verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going... And give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth or a tithe to you. Which is interesting because the tithe preceded Moses and preceded the law by hundreds of years. Uh, And so it it is interesting that even Jacob, you know, four or five hundred years before uh, Moses was on the scene and God gave the law uh, to Moses, uh, Jacob was talking about giving the first tenth to God. So the tithe, you know, goes all the way back actually to Genesis chapter 14 uh, with Melchizedek and, and Abraham. But so he's saying, as I, if God is with me and he keeps me in this way, the way of the Lord and gives me, I'm going to serve him. I'm going to build him a house and I'm going to give him uh, a tenth because it all belongs to him. When we walk in his way, God aids us, he leads us, he protects us, he provides for us in the book of Exodus, skipping to the book of Exodus in verse 23, Moses, the man of God, the lawgiver, we read this in Exodus 23 and verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared for you. And so the Lord is telling Moses, I'm going to send the angel of the Lord to be with you so that you won't be alone as you're leading my people through the wilderness. And we know he was in the wilderness for 40 years with a bunch of stubborn, rebellious people who didn't like him. They wanted to stone him numerous times and so forth. But God says, you're not going to be alone. I'm going to keep you in the way. As long as you're walking in the way, I'm going to be with you and you're going to end up in the destination, the promised land. I'm going to take you to the place which I have prepared for my people. In Exodus chapter 32 and verse 8, 
we read this. They have turned aside quickly. This is after the children. Remember, Moses went up on Mount Sinai to for 40 days and 40 nights to receive the Ten Commandments of God, written by the finger of God on the two tablets of stone. The people were down at the bottom of the mountain. They thought Moses had died, and they wanted to start worshiping the gods of Egypt again. They immediately went back to the idols of Egypt, and they fashioned and formed a golden calf, and they began to dance around nakedly around it and to worship this golden calf. And then Moses came down, and he was, you know, uh, he threw down the Ten Commandments and broke them and uh, had to go back up another time, and God gave him another uh, uh, copy of the Ten Commandments uh, because as soon as God had given the law, they'd broken the law. I mean, they couldn't keep it for five minutes. And, and so we read that they had turned aside from the way. Verse 8. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And this would be a uh, precursor to the things to come, a foretelling of what would come with the nation of Israel. They would struggle with going after false idols almost their entire existence because it was sort of uh, uh, inbred in them in Egypt, that they were worshiping all these idols of Egypt for 400 years, and so they were constantly going back to idolatry. But he's saying that you, you're leaving the way, you're going out of the way, and you're going into uh, a false way that leads to death. And then, you know, 3,000 were killed on that day when Moses came down there worshiping the golden calf. In Exodus, 20, uh, Exodus 23, I'm sorry, um, Exodus 33, and verse 13. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. Verse 14. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And so Moses, the man of God, is saying, Lord, Show me now your way. He wanted to know the way that he was supposed to walk in. As God's people, we should desire to know, what is your will for my life? What does your word say about these things? How am I now to live now that I'm a slave and you're my master and I belong to you? You bought me with a price. You purchased me with your blood. I belong to you. And so Moses, the man of God, is saying, show me now your way that I may know you. Uh, and consider this nation uh, that is your people. And we know that Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you even to the end of the age to us today, his people today. In Deuteronomy, skipping ahead to Deuteronomy and chapter 8 and verse 1. This is at the end of the 40 years, and Moses is about to die. The children of Israel are about to cross over the Jordan River and go into the promised land after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Deuteronomy 8.1, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and, and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you and to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make known to you that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. And so God is saying, he's telling his people, he's saying you must be careful, you must observe uh, and, and live and multiply uh, and follow my word and follow my ways. 
uh, he says, you'll remember that the Lord uh, tested you. He led you in these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart. He humbled you. He allowed you to hunger and so forth to where you wouldn't be able to bail yourself out. You had to totally depend on God. And he says, I allowed you to be tested so that you would know what's in your own heart. God knows what's in our heart, but sometimes we don't know what's in our own heart. He allows us to struggle. He allows us to suffer loss to show us how weak we really are and how desperately we truly need him, that we're not strong enough to face the trials and tribulations of this world apart from his help and his mercy in our lives, his grace in our lives. And yet he says, I will provide everything that you need. I'll meet all of your needs as you walk in the way. Verse 6, therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. It's interesting that he says that God chastens. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord chastens you. So if you're truly a Christian, God won't let you get away with much. I'll tell you, I don't get away with anything. You know, God is so quick to spank me and discipline me if I start to wander at all. Uh, and that's because he loves me. If, if God just let me go and, and, and live uh, like hell and live for the devil and, you know, be a total duplicitous hypocrite standing in the pulpit saying one thing and doing another in my private life, that's a very dangerous thing. That means I'm not his child. The New Testament in the book of Hebrews tells us that every son that God receives, he chastens and disciplines him. Uh, because he loves him as a father disciplines his own son. God does not discipline those who are not his children. So if you get away with murder and you get away with playing church and being a total phony, baloney, hypocrite Christian, that's not a good thing. That means you're not his child. Uh, you know, the pig will return to wallow in the mire after it's washed and the dog will return to eat its vomit. Uh, and so it is a very dangerous thing when God allows us to go headlong into sin and gives us over to our sin. That means that we are not his child because he will discipline his children. He disciplines his own because he loves us. In Deuteronomy and chapter 9 and verse 12, we read this. Then the Lord said to me, arise, go down quickly from here. For your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molten image. Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me saying, I have seen this people and indeed they are a stubborn, stiff-necked people. And so when you're walking in the way of the Lord, you're going to be humble. When you are not walking in the way of the Lord, you are going to be stubborn and prideful and stiff-necked in that you're going to do your own thing instead of surrendering to God. Verse 16 of Deuteronomy chapter 9. And I looked and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made for yourselves a molded calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. So we have free will. They turned aside. They knew the way. They chose to go a different way. God never violates our volition. He never takes away our self-determination, which means we have a free will. We have choice. We're not robots. He doesn't force us to do anything. Uh, he gives us a choice, and he wants us to walk in the way that he has laid out for us because God is not willing that any should perish, but he desires that all would come to repentance. In Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 18, Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to give your fathers to give them like the days of the heavens above the earth. Verse 22, for if you carefully keep all these commandments which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out those nations before you and you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourselves. And so the Lord is, is basically saying here that you, you will walk in my ways. You will teach 
these uh, truths to your children. When you sit in your house, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise up, you will be uh, meditating upon my word. You will lay up all these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you will bind them as a sign in your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So it always comes back to the word of God. The will of God is revealed in the word of God. The way of the Lord is the way of his word. And so we have to be educated by his word. We have to study his word. We have to know his word. And then we have to understand his word. And then we have to do his word. So it, it is really our choice whether we want to do this or not. He doesn't force us. But he tells them that he's going to bless their socks off if they continue, his people continue to walk in all his ways and hold fast to him. He says in verse 24, Every place on which the sole of your foot tread shall be yours, from the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even to the western sea shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will put the dread of you and the fear of you upon all the land where you tread, just as he has said to you, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I commanded you today to go after other gods which you have not known. And so God was laying out there before them, the, again, the laws of sowing and reaping that are so clearly defined for us in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, whatever a man sows, this also shall he reap. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap of the flesh destruction. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap of the Spirit eternal life. So nothing has changed. It's the same God. He's never changed. Uh, times have changed. You know, there was the Israel in the Old Testament. The church is the New Testament. God's going to, in the uh, end of this age, he's going to rescue us, take us to heaven, then he's going to save all of Israel according to Romans 11. Uh, but God never changes. He wants us to walk in submission to his way and to his word. And as we do this, he promises the blessing upon his people. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 14, we read this. Again, Moses has written all of this for us. Deuteronomy 17 and verse 14. When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you, whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother, but he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. In other words, going backwards, going back to Egypt, back to the world, back to the lust of the flesh, and living for the things of this world. That's what Egypt symbolized. And so he's saying, you shall not return that way again. Verse 17, neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. In other words, enrich himself uh, as the king. Also, it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests and the Levites, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. And so God, again, is giving these instructions to his people and to the kings about how they are to be. He says, uh, you're, you're supposed to not multiply uh, horses, you're not supposed to make gold, you're not to multiply wives, you're to uh, uh, write a copy of the law, the word of God. You are to read the word of God every day. These are for the leaders of the nation. They were to be those who were, you know, uh, immersing themselves in the word of God on a daily basis. And he says that his heart, verse 20, may not be lifted up against his brethren, humility, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children, in the midst of Israel. And so it's a way that the Lord is calling even for the kings, the leaders, the rulers of the nation, of the people, to submit and to surrender to the way of God 
and to the Word of God. Now, the book of Proverbs in verse 31, and we're going to go back in Deuteronomy in just a minute, but Proverbs 31, the book of wisdom, speaks about this for the kings. It says, do not give your strength, Proverbs 31, 3, do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Open your mouth for the speechless. In the cause of all who were appointed to die, open your mouth. Judge righteously and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. This is the charge to the leaders, to the rulers of Israel and God's people. They're to be sober-minded. They're to be fair. They're to be humble. They're to be just. They're not to be empowering themselves or raising themselves up over thinking they're better than everybody else. They're to be serving the people, loving the people, judging righteously, pleading the cause of the less fortunate, the poor, the needy, the widows, and the orphan. This is the heart of the Lord. Back in Deuteronomy and chapter 31, we read this. Deuteronomy 31 and verse 26. Take this book of the law and put it beside the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness against you. For I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. If today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord, then how much more after my death? Gather to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in their hearing and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you. And evil will befall you in the latter days because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. And prophetically, that's exactly what happened, as you know, with the record of the nation of Israel and the nation ultimately also of Judah. They went after other gods. They uh, became utterly corrupt, even to the point where they began to offer their children as human sacrifices to the gods of the nations, which they were to dispossess. <clears throat> in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 46, And he said to them, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law, for it is not a futile thing for you, because it is your life. And by this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. So he's saying, set your hearts on all the words, the word of God, which I testify among you today, and teach them to your children. We have to always reach the next generation. I think that's the biggest problem with American and Western Christianity is we've lost the young people overwhelmingly. We've lost them to the world. And uh, that's our own fault. We need to reach out to the children. We need to make an effort to really train up the children in the way they should go so that when they're old, they will not depart. You can't just assume by osmosis that your kids are going to grow up and at 25 or 30 years old, especially if you sent them away to college, to be taught by a bunch of atheist Marxist professors who hate God and who don't believe in Jesus Christ, that somehow you're going to be surprised when they come home from college at Berkeley and say they're an atheist and they don't believe in Jesus Christ anymore. So we have to be aware of this. This was commanded by Moses thousands of years ago. This is written 3,500 years ago. It applies the same way to God's people today. This is a way of life that we must walk in, we must observe, we must Train to our children as well so that we pass it down to the next generation. In the book of Joshua, Moses is off the scene. Joshua now takes over the people as the leader and leads them into the promised land. In Joshua chapter 1 in verse 7, God says this, Only be strong and very courageous. 
that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Indeed, this is the true prosperity gospel. If you obey the word of God, God says you will be blessed. If you disobey the word of God, you're going to bring judgment upon yourself. It's like planting a seed. You're going to have to eat and reap the harvest that you have planted. And so he's saying, don't turn from it. From the right to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, just like the kings were commanded, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And indeed, God was with Joshua, the general, who led God's people across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And they conquered the majority of the Promised Land. Not all of it, but they conquered the majority of the Promised Land uh, as they walked in obedience and submission uh, to God. In Joshua chapter 3 and verse 4, he says, yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. So he was talking about how the priests were ordered to take the Ark of the Covenant into the Jordan River, that the Jordan River, which was overflowing its banks, would be stopped up, kind of like the Red Sea was parted for Moses and the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. And they walked over the Jordan River on dry land in the spring when all of the rain melt was, you know, river was overflowing its banks. It would have been impossible to cross. Uh, and God stopped up the river uh, Jordan so the people of Israel could cross and go into the promised land. And he's telling them, uh, you, don't, you don't know the way that you're going to go, so you have to stick close to me. You haven't gone this way before. You need to really pay attention. And that's true for all of us. You know, we don't know the future. Things may get much more difficult for us in America. Just study history and see, uh, especially that any nation that God has blessed, as much as God has blessed America, if they turn away from God, it's even a more severe judgment upon that nation. And so we don't know what's coming. We don't know exactly what's ahead. So we need to stick close to Jesus. We need to stick close to God's word and we need to let him help us and guide us through the way of life, the way of salvation, the way that leads to heaven. In the book of Judges, in Judges chapter 2 and verse 11, this is when uh, Joshua was off the scene and the nation of, uh, of Israel just started going crazy and going after all kinds of other gods. Judges chapter 2 and verse 11. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and they served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord. And they served Baal and the Ashtoreths. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of the plunderers who despoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity. As the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. And so we see that they went after other gods. They went out of the way. And we think, well, we don't go after Baal and we do not go after Ashtoreth. But you see, the gods of the ancient times were, were just uh, the things that people worshipped throughout history. Whether it's sex, the god, uh, goddess Ashtoreth was uh, comparable to the Greek goddess Diana, the uh, Roman goddess Venus. Uh, it's, it's the goddess of fertility or the goddess of sexual perversion. And so they would worship these gods and these goddesses with sex. That was, that was their passion. Their master passion was lust, was sex. Uh, Baal was the, was the god of power. 
Uh, Molech was the god of pleasure. Uh, Mammon was the god of money. So all of these gods that they worshipped, we still worship those things today. We worship in our culture. Sex, power, pleasure, hedonism, money, uh, the intellect, education, war, and violence. All of these were gods that they worshipped, and these gods would give them, what would promise to give them what they wanted. Uh, and, of course, it was a lie. They're worshiping demons. But it's, it's no different. It's no different today. Sex, drugs, partying, money, power, pleasure, war. People are still worshiping all these things today. And these are still the gods that are calling God's children to try and come out of the way and to leave the way of life and to follow other gods, which is a way that leads to death. In Proverbs, in chapter 21... And verse 2, now Proverbs is the book of wisdom. As a matter of fact, there are innumerable scriptures in the book of Proverbs that I marked out, but we won't have time to look at much of them. But you could read Proverbs on your own, and you'll see this about the way of the sinner, the way of the righteous, the way of life, the way of death, etc. Proverbs 21, 2 says this, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. And so man can justify everything he does. Everybody thinks that he's better than someone else, that, you know, there's people worse than him. Uh, even Charles Manson probably thought he was a good guy. And Ted Bundy and, you know, all these serial killers. Uh, Ted Kaczynski, the uh, Unabomber. I mean, these people are, Hitler probably thought he was a good guy, you know, compared to I don't know who. And so every man is right. The way of every man is right in his own eyes. But God judges the hearts. God knows your heart. And uh, the Lord is, is so patient with us. Uh, he also judges our motives, our thoughts, our intentions, even, you know, why we do what we do, uh, the Lord judges. Now, if we go back to uh, the book of 1 Kings, so back to uh, 1 Kings, as we're going kind of chronologically, starting back in Genesis forward. 1 Kings chapter 11, now we get into the uh, time of the kings of Israel. 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 1, but King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after other gods, turn you away from the Lord, from the right way. Solomon clung to those in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonites, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord had Commanded, And, of course, as a judgment of this against Solomon, the kingdom upon his death was divided. The nation was divided into two nations, and the nations really never recovered because the king led them into idolatry. The nations went headlong into idolatry, both uh, Israel and Judah. And so it's just very, very serious. You know, uh, you had Saul, King Saul, you had King David, who was a man after God's own heart, then David's son Solomon. Solomon had all of these blessings God had given him, and yet he turned away from God, and he began to worship and tolerate the worship of other gods in Israel. In 2 Kings chapter 16 and verse 2, we read this about King Ahaz, one of the kings of Judah. It says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. He did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel 
Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. So this was a descendant of King David who is going after other gods, not only going after other gods, but offering his own sons as human sacrifices to these gods, to Molech and these other gods that were there uh, in the nation. So turning away from the truth, turning away, thinking you're the exception to the rule and that you can do what you want and God's still going to show you mercy. With much knowledge comes much responsibility. The more that you know, the more accountable you are for that which you know to do. What you know to do is right. In 2 Kings chapter 21 and verse 21, we read this. So he walked in all the ways that his father had walked, and he served the idols that his father had served, and he worshipped them. And he forsook the Lord God of his fathers. He did not walk in the way of the Lord. Now this is Hezekiah's son Manasseh, who was the wickedest king out of all the kings of Judah. But you notice that he wor worshipped the false gods. He walked after the false gods and he worshipped them. And he forsook the Lord God of his fathers. And he did not continue to walk in the way of the Lord. In other words, he departed from the way of truth, even though he knew the way of truth. The Bible says that in the last days there will be many who will fall away from the, from the faith. There will be many who will depart from the faith in the last days. They're going to go their own way. They're not going to continue to walk on that straight and narrow way that leads to life. And then in 2 Kings 22, verse 1, a righteous king, Josiah. Josiah was eight years old, verse 1, when he became king. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was uh, Jedidah, the daughter of Ad Adiah of Boscath. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. So Josiah, who was the son of this wicked king Manasseh, he served the Lord. He went back to the word of God. He ushered back in uh, the ordinances of God and the festivals of God and tried to get the people back. They got rid of all of the uh, idols to Ashtoreth and, and Molech and Baal and, and, and purged the land of all the idols and so forth. And so it's, it's always about us. It's always a choice that we make to walk in the way of the Lord or to uh, turn aside to the right hand or to the left. And Josiah was a man of God. And, and for us, we must be those who also walk in the ways of David, the son of David, the root and the offspring of David, who is Jesus Christ. Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. One more verse here, and I'm actually about halfway done with my message, so I'll probably pick this up next week. Uh, one more verse before we stop because we're out of time. Matthew chapter 16. <clears throat> and I commend you for being able to follow all of this and not get lost. So it's a testimony to your interest in the Word of God. And your maturity to be able to take in the word of God. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. There's so much packed into just this little couple of verses here from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He tells us that to be a disciple, we have to first deny ourselves. We have to take up our cross, which is the mortification of the flesh, not seeking to please the flesh, living for the flesh, the world, and all the things of this world, but denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus. He says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You are more than just your body. You have a soul that lives in your body, and that's the key. Where is your soul going to go 
for all eternity. If you're following Jesus Christ, if you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if you've acknowledged Jesus is Lord of your life and you've surrendered to him and you said it's not my life anymore, I'm crucified with Christ, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives his life through me, and you continue to walk on the straight and narrow way that is the hard road, the narrow road that leads to life, you will end up with Jesus because Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again to receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. You will end up with Jesus in heaven. And so that is our prayer for everyone listening to this message. If you don't know Jesus, I'd be happy to pray with you. You could cry out to him from your seat. You could cry out to him in your car ride home. You can get on your knees when you get home by your bed tonight, by yourself or with your family. And you could accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and surrender your life to God. And you will be saved. Shall we pray? Father, I pray for all of those here. Lord, I thank you for your people. We thank you for this wonderful church family. Father, we thank you for your holy word, inspired truth, Lord God. We thank you for the way of life, Lord, that leads to eternal life, Lord. And we thank you, Father, that you've come alongside with us. You've not made us travel this road alone, Lord. You said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, Lord. You're with us now. You'll be with us all the way to the end. So, Lord, I pray today, Lord, God, you would strengthen us. Lord, you would empower us to obey you. Lord, it would be our desire to please you and not ourselves, Father, and that people would be attracted. People are so starving for truth. They're starving for something that's real, for something that's true, for something that's eternal, for something that's reasonable, for something that makes sense. And they're going after all these other gods of this world that just destroy them. Lord, use us to bring many into your kingdom. In these last days we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, email us at coahpodcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California.